Welcome to Headlines. This is Ari Wasserman sitting in for David Lichtenstein. Today we're talking about a very important topic, significant in many people's lives, and that is being in the box. In the box, out of the box, but being in the box is the box too confining, is the derech simply too narrow. I was recently uh, meeting with a couple friends from many years ago from Queens, and they said, what's the next show that you're working on? And I told them, being in the box is the box too confining. And they simply answered yes, and that was the end of the conversation. That was their view. We have so much more to discuss. Are they correct, or is there more to the story? So, in fact, I was speaking with another person, a well-known Rav, on this issue, and uh, his response was, being in a box is like being in the coffin. But it could very well be that there's more room in a coffin than being in the box. So that's what we're going to talk about today. What's the definition of being on the derech? What's the definition of being in the box. This show is not about being off the derech. That is not our topic today. It's simply about what it means to be in the box, what is required to be in the box. Are we talking about halachic issues? Are we talking about societal expectations and norms to be somebody who is considered in the box and on the derech? We'll talk about how those definitions have changed over time, and we'll also talk about halachic requirements. For example, to wear white shirts and black pants. How about wearing a hat all the time? I'm not talking about during davening or during a koshal bracha, but at other times as well, is there any halachic imperative, nashkafic imperative to do that, going into certain occupations and avoiding other occupations, not playing sports, musical instruments, and the like. In order to cover this topic properly, we have a number of unbelievable guests, a real privilege to have them on the show today. We are going to start out with the esteemed Rabbi Beryl Wine, the renowned rabbi, author, historian, and lecturer. Then we will go on and speak with Rabbi Yitzchak Berkowitz, the Rosh Yeshiva of Asia Torah, who has some very interesting insights into our topic. And then we will have an extensive conversation with Rabbi Dr. Yitzchak Breidowitz, the senior lecturer at Yeshivas Or Sameach, the worldwide renowned Poseg. And we will actually get a little bit personal talking about his experiences about dabbling a little bit out of the box as well. We will then speak with Rabbi Avi Wiesenfeld, originally from London, now the Rosh Yeshiva based David in Yushalayim, a big Poseg, a Poseg of Kav Halacha based Horah, talking about the experiences that he has and the 50 boys in his Yeshiva that would be considered out of the box. And then we will consummate the show with Rabbi Gedalia Open, Rosh Yeshiva of Ateres, Eitz Chaim. He has been a mechanech, a principal, and filled various roles for over 30 years. And uh, that will be a very insightful conversation as well. I, I do want to recount another conversation I had with somebody, uh, somebody who happens to be in, in Lakewood. and uh, But that's neither here nor there because he could be anywhere and have had this conversation. He could have been from uh, England. He could have been from South Africa. Africa. And the conversation indeed was, what does it mean to be in the box? What does it mean to be out of the box? And I'm just reading from my notes of that conversation. And he said, the box, what does it mean to be in the box? No uniqueness. Everyone must conform. No individuality. It's stifling and the appearances have to be the same. And if you're not in Kolel, you are second class. I'm just reading through here. He says, it's all learning, no creativity, no art. The style of learning has to be all the same, slow, 
intense iyun. You can't learn halacha or bikiyas as your main learning. And uh, this causes various problems he listed out. He says, number one, it impacts everyone differently. And we will admit some people are in the box and some people are happy in the box. But other people are considered a second citizen if they are outside the box. So that's problem number one he listed. Problem number two, there are no other options other than yeshiva and kolel. So if you don't fit squarely in the box, that's problematic. Number three, he said, you're not allowed to ask questions or you are viewed as a kofer. And number four, nobody can have their own opinions. Nobody can think that is scathing. I'm not saying I agree or disagree, but that is simply uh, an opening volley in order to have our conversation today. So uh, relevant for Torah, I apologize. It's not on this week's Parsha. It is on Parsha's Lech Lecha. And it goes like this. It says as follows, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is speaking to Avram. And Avram says, who is going to inherit me? And talking about Eliezer, Eliezer was the trusted servant, but he's saying he's not going to be appropriate to be the individual to inherit me and continuing in on my legacy. Why? He says as follows, Uven Meshek, Beisi, Hu Damesek, Eliezer. What is Damesek, Eliezer? What does Damesek mean? So Rashi says, interestingly, it stands for Dole that indeed he draws forth and gives, he drinks, he gives to drink others from the Torah of Avram Avinu. It sounds like an amazing thing that Eliezer is indeed following suit. As was taught by Avram, it will be taught by Eliezer. Sounds like a very praiseworthy thing, but apparently Avram did not view it as a very praiseworthy thing because saying he cannot inherit me, he cannot follow forth on my legacy because he is simply copying what I do. And the question is as follows, says the Maharami Pellets, why is that bad? Seems to be a very positive thing. So he explains as follows, Dafka Avram. What did Avram really mean? That it's a negative thing? Indeed, he does mean it's a negative thing because he doesn't have any of his own Torah. He doesn't have any of his own derech. He doesn't have any of his innovation and creativity. It's all from me. Not that that's a terrible thing, copying what the Rav, the Rebbe does, but... In order to really accomplish something and in order to continue a legacy, you have to innovate, you have to add, you have to be a creative individual. And he goes on to explain that Avram was very different from Yitzchak. Yitzchak was very different from Yaakov, as we know. Avram represented Chesed. Yitzchak represented Pachad. Yaakov represented Emes. And each of them were very different. And accordingly, they can continue in the legacy. But if somebody is just going to copy, that is not what we are looking for. So obviously, that is an interesting insight into the need for creativity, innovation, being a different individual, not strict, Conformity. Conformity, I guess, it can be a positive thing as well. It definitely can be a positive thing as well, no question. But what we seem to be saying here is at least in order to accomplish something big, to continue a legacy, somebody has to be able to innovate and not necessarily strictly conform. So that is an interesting insight into, uh, into that Pasuk and into our concept as well. I am going to fast forward a little bit, maybe a lot to Parshas Veschanan, and we see a similar concept in talking about the Tefillin. We have the Tefillin Shalyan, we have the Tefillin Shalrosh, and Rav Moshe Sturmbach in his Tamvadas says something very fascinating, and I think uh, on point to our topic as well, and he explains why it comes to the Shalyan that all four of the Parshas of the Tefillin are in the same bias. They're all in the same compartment, but when it comes to the Tefillin Shalrosh, we have four Parshas, but each, although it looks like from the outside that they're all in one compartment, but they're really four separate 
separate compartments. And Rav Moshe Sherbach explains as follows, that when it comes to the Shalyad, the Shalyad, which is on our arm, represents the mice and the actions that we do. But in contrast, on the other hand, when it comes to the Shalrosh, that is a remis, the Avodah Shabamoach, our thoughts, our philosophies, how we think about HaKadosh Baruch And accordingly, when it comes to the Shalyad, that represents the Maisa, that represents that the Torah is one, the same Torah for Klal Yisrael, all of the Parshas of the Tulin are together in the same bias. And he says as follows, Kala mitzvah shavim, kala mitzvahs, all the mitzvahs that we have, they're equal. Shavim heima, ula shum hevdel ben ish When it comes to the mitzvahs, there's no distinction, no difference between each and every Jew, they're all the same. However, when it comes to the Tefillin, Shorosh, separate compartments, four separate compartments, although it looks the same, outside, that's not the case. And he says as follows, they are different. They are separate from one and another. Why? Because when it comes to the Avodas Halev, each Jew is different. Each person is different based on his Maila, based on his ability to understand things. And then he says as follows, each one is going to be over Hashem, but in his own derech, in his own way, in his own shita. Now, they all have the same kavan. All of us want to do the same thing. But it is in different ways and different paths. And indeed, that is our discussion. Being in the box is being in the box, conformity is that a positive thing? Being on the derech, the narrow derech, is that a positive thing? Or indeed, is it simply too restrictive nowadays to be in the box and be on the derech? And uh, strict conformity, maybe it has its upsides, certainly has up- upsides, but maybe the downsides are significant as well. And that indeed is the subject of our show today. Before we go to our guests, we'll quickly go through the riddle of the week. Riddle for the week goes as follows. I did spend a little bit of time looking for Divrei Torah to connect this week's parasha, not Lech Lecha, but Vayera, and maybe even Chaye Sora to our topic today, conformity and non-conformity, being in the box, being out of the box, being on the derech, not being on the derech, not saying being off the derech, but not strictly being on the derech. And the question is as follows, I'd be interested in seeing any exactly on point, very close to on point, Divrei Torah on these two parashas, Vayera, Chaye Sora, that would relate to our topic. So if you can send them in, great, interesting Divrei Torah, not stretches, but on point, that would be our riddle of the week. If you want to leave a message by phone or dial in by phone to listen, in America, our number is 732-806-8700. In England, it's 44, like that's the country code, 33011-70250. In Eretz Yisrael, it's 02-372-0304. And now let's go to our guests. Joining us now is Rabbi Beryl Wine. Rabbi Beryl Wine is known to the universe, uh, the great author, the lecturer, the historian, the former Rosh Hashiva, the Shul Rav. Rabbi Wine, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Harry. So, Rabbi Wine, we're talking about a somewhat sensitive topic today. Is the derech too narrow? 
you know, as we typically say, or is the box too small that we try to pe- fit people into the box? And uh, on a high level, I-, I remember something that you wrote a long time ago. I-, I don't remember even which publication it was in. And it was talking about what was acceptable back then is no longer acceptable. And I remember... Well, there's no question that society has changed and the Orthodox society has also changed. And uh, there are many factors that contribute to the change. Uh, one factor is that uh, general society is much worse than it was from a Torah perspective. I mean, things that uh, never were accepted in general society or language that was never accepted or uh, dress that never was accepted. Nothing to do with religion, just with society. Today, everything is accepted. Huchalo. Everything goes. So because of that, therefore, uh, you know, uh, the Talmud says, uh, If you live in such a dissolute society, so you naturally narrow yourself. You limit yourself. That's part of it. Second uh, contributory uh, factor, when I was young, the Orthodox Jewish community was in the main very poor, financial. We had very lowered expectations. My father never owned a car. My father never owned their own home. And I grew up, I didn't expect to either. None of my friends did. One or two in the in the yeshiva that had access to a car because their fathers were in a business that had a car. So, But nobody, nobody had great expectations. You know, hope to make a living and that's not true today. today. There are enormous expectations. Everybody feels entitled. Right. So and because of that, therefore, uh, the perspective of, uh, so to speak, having to make a living uh, has changed completely, right? If I don't make a living, the government will help me. If uh, I don't, you know, I, I, my parents will help me, somebody else will help me. Magiali, as we say in Israel. Right. I have it coming to me. So because of that, therefore, uh, you have this, uh, this attitude that I don't have to adjust to any sort of societal norms. I don't have to, uh, I don't have to play any games. I, you know, I'm going to get it anyway. I'm, I'm going to be successful in my terms. And uh, because of that, therefore, uh, see, it's a paradox. So on one hand, uh, on one hand the, uh, the yeshivish, quote-unquote, uh, Jew dresses in a certain way and looks a certain way and votes a certain way. And on the other hand, the same Jew uh, owns a yacht and uh, goes away for Pesach. And, uh, you know, and none of that really impairs on his lifestyle. So, so the, the derech has been narrowed in certain ways and broadened in other ways. I think in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, financial behavior, it's been broadened enormously. That's interesting. That's interesting. And because it's been broadened enormously, so the other part is, uh, to a certain extent, uh, only show, sham. It shows, uh, you know, my example always is uh, there are, uh, you know, 5 million, 10 million people in the United States that uh, buy a uh, T-shirt uh, with the name of a ball player on the back of the T-shirt. They spend $30 for a $5 T-shirt because that gives them a sense of identity. 
to me it's a weakness, but that's the sense of identity. And it's interesting that somebody else's identity. But right, but that meanwhile I'm part of it. Right. I'm part of it. So that's the you're saying that's the concept of the dress now. That's the concept here, is I'm part of it, right? I can't learn and I don't know that much and I really don't have any plan in life. But I mean, my example is of a, a relative of mine that turned 13 years old, and I gave him a gift for bar mitzvah, and he said to me, Uncle Beryl, starting tomorrow, he said, you know, I put on film every day, and I only wear white shirts. So film and a white shirt are equal. I only wear white shirts. And what, you don't wear a white shirt? So that, and when I grew up, that didn't exist. Right, so what, when you wrote the article, if I remember it correctly, it was a long time, that, that was the point is the Russian yeshiva, they used to wear white hats. And yeah, right, straw hats in the summer, and they would, uh, you know, and they would, they, in Lithuania, already in the yeshivas, the, uh, the yeshiva guys were the sharp dressers. They were the ones that introduced short suits, etc. In the Hasidic world, Hasidic world is much more bound to uh, form uh, than the Yeshivisha world was. But that's an old problem. Yeah, there's a bitter statement uh, by the great uh, Rishon Rabbeinu Menachem Amiri, 14th century Provence. So he writes uh, in his commentary to Masechet Sota, he writes uh, like a throwaway, uh, something really was a bee under his bonnet. He said, There are people, that they cover themselves with large and great towers, and they flaunt their tzitzes outside, but inside they're far away from heaven. Well, that's a bitter statement. But he's talking about 800 years ago. So the nature of people hasn't changed. They say you can't judge a book by its covers. Rabbi Zlatowicz told me anybody that tells you that is not in the book business. But uh, to a great extent you really can't judge the book by its cover. You can't judge people by, you know, how, uh, you know, there, there are plenty of people that look good and aren't, and there are plenty of people that don't look so good and they're tzaddikim. Right, right. So, Odom uh, But again, no one wants to be an outcast. I don't want to wear a t-shirt into, the, into Lakewood or into the mirror, because that's stupid of me. On the other hand, uh, I'm not necessarily bound, to, you know, to buy $350 Borsalino because that's what everybody's wearing. See, again, you have to find yourself. You have to be yourself. And uh, that is, uh, this is part of that great issue of self-identity. Right. So so when it comes to the derech being too narrow, we're saying the dress derech has become very narrow because there are very limited options when it comes to dress as opposed to 50 years ago. Where again, it and again, more... it has to do with the general society. The general right. society, you can't walk on the street. Right, right. So it's a reaction. It's a reaction to that. Now, when it comes to paths in life. It seems like we see the same thing that 30, 40, uh, 60, 70 years ago, there were many more options if somebody wants to go into a career, wants to go into this career or that career. And nowadays, the, the uh, path is fairly regimented. You go yeah, to- it's fairly regimented to a certain degree, until a certain age, let's say the Kolel age. But most people don't stay in Kolel the rest of their lives, except here in Israel. It's a different situation here because of the army and other things. 
which really uh, skew the entire picture. But uh, most of the yeshivish world that goes to Lakewood or anywhere else in the United States will eventually go into the commercial world or the professional world in more the Jewish world in one way or another. So it's just a question that we've added. Uh, timing. Timing. Years of learning and timing, fine. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you don't have to become a lawyer at 22. You can become a lawyer at 32. It's all, it'll also work. Right, right, right. And, and the concept of not having a plan initially nowadays. Back then, 60 years ago, did people, I'm going to be this, I'm going to be that, I'm going to planning on this in a few years? Or Again, it was a function simply of poverty. When I was 18 years old, my father told me, listen, I have no money to leave you, and I have no business. You're going to have to do something. So uh, let's think about, uh, you know, maybe you should go to law school. Well, that was a function of putting bread on the table. I don't have to tell any of my 18-year-old grandsons that uh, they're going to be in trouble. They won't believe me, and most of the time they're right. They won't be. So that's a different attitude, right? So why do I need a plan at 18? When I'm 18, I don't want a plan. I'm enjoying life the way it is, right? without responsibilities, without it. So you have in one sector, I mean, that's... Uh, the shidduch problems that they mentioned, because you have a large section of people that never want to accept responsibility. They don't pull the trigger because they don't want to. And uh, so, uh, you know, it's it's a problem uh, to say that everybody at 18 is going to know what he's going to do. That's, that's uh, you know, I always used to say that my wife married a lawyer. It didn't turn out that way. People change in life. There are different opportunities, different things. So, But the, it's the perspective of how you're going to make it. Are you going to make it on your own? Or are you going to be dependent always upon the government, the society, uh, the family, etc.? That's a, it's a mental attitude that people have. Right, right. Is there anything healthy that comes out of that? You see, uh, in that book that we mentioned that I wrote, the response of uh, orthodoxy to uh, modernity, uh, part of the difficulty of orthodoxy to respond was that it could not change its mindset because of the exile. It did not believe that it would have any opportunities in the exile eventually. To a great extent, it was proven right. Eventually, the exile turned out to be a disaster for us. Uh, an imagined disaster, and that uh, in Auschwitz it didn't make a difference what degree you had from what university. So uh, you know, th- so all of that is in the mix, right? That, you know, the Jewish world is very complicated, very complicated. So maybe the simplest thing and the healthiest thing is to say, I'm not going to plan. I'm not going to, you know, right now I'm doing this. I'm learning. I'm in the yeshiva. I'm fine. Right now, I'm going to start dating. My father-in-law will take care of me for five years or ten years or whatever. No, we'll worry about it. Figure it out then. Yeah. Can you say they're wrong? I don't say they're wrong. You know, but I come from a generation where the father-in-law couldn't take care of you or wouldn't take care of you. And so it was a whole different thing. I got the... You couldn't think about getting married... If uh, you didn't have some some support, some, yeah, some some ability to be able to uh, to make the thing work, right, right. Any any aids for the uh, bachrim that are listening to the show? I think I think one of the most important things in life is to have self confidence, not arrogance, but self confidence. So you have to develop that within yourself. 
You have to have a high opinion of yourself to be able to do things. Whether it's learning or working, it doesn't Everything matter. in life, whether it's being a husband. And the mere fact that I'm a male doesn't make me a good husband. All of these things. So it takes, uh, it takes a perspective. It takes an attitude. And uh, we're all products of where we came from, you know. And uh, that affects us too. God forbid someone that comes from a dysfunctional home is going to be pretty dysfunctional. It's been proven over and over again that uh, abusers are people who themselves intended to be abused. So all of that is in the mix. So you have to know yourself, and you have to uh, you have to believe in yourself. You have to believe that I can, you know, I can learn, I can have an influence. I'm important. I'm part of the Jewish chain. I'm going to build generations. You have to see yourself in the picture. If you don't, you know, if you see yourself purely isolated in your own uh, in your own limited way, so then uh, life is, becomes much more difficult. Rabbi Wine, thank you so much once again for joining us. Always a pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. Joining us now is Rabbi Yitzhak Berkovitz. Rabbi Berkovitz is the Rosh Yeshiva of Eish Torah, the founder and Rosh Kolal of the Jerusalem Kolal, a renowned posek and a mumcha in so many areas in Halacha and Ashkafa. Rabbi Berkowitz, thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome. <laughs> Rabbi Berkowitz, our issue of the day, and I'm very, very interested in hearing your perspective because you live in Sanya Jamochavit, where you see really a Haredi crowd, and then you go to Aisha Torah, and that's a Kiruv crowd. You're, so you're really living in different worlds. And you may answer this differently for the different uh, locations. Right now, you're sitting in Aisha Torah, but uh, maybe you'd answer differently if you were back at home. We're talking about the box. Is the box too restrictive? What are the implications for people when, for example, we'll talk about Aisha Torah, you're sitting there right now in Bali Chuva. Do they ask why non halachic issues? But societal expectations, for example, why does everyone have to wear white shirts and black pants and the same yarmulke? Maybe you have a little bit of flexibility on sizes. And the only differentiation you have is the color of socks that people... No, that's not a nation. They're asking about what happens in Shania Jirvi maybe. So, so, you know, you have the questions like that. And also when you have the people who are supposed to be in the box... Do they view it maybe as too restrictive as well? I guess we would say from Ace, they're looking inside the box from outside right now, and maybe they're just figuring out do they want to be in the box. What we see on a high level, is it a little bit too restrictive today because it seems that the box is getting smaller and smaller? In, in the olden days in Ace, a long time ago, one of the big issues was like the, old, the, the older guys, the veteran guys would put on a hat. And I would often be confronted by someone, at what point in the process of becoming from do you start wearing a hat? And I would tell them when you couldn't care less, you know, a good part of our society really has a lot of seichel. And they understand all of this is meaningless. All of this is meaningless. I'm not any better for wearing a hat. I'm not any worse for wearing a hat. And I do not have to express my individuality by yes or not wearing a hat. That's not what it's about. The most beautiful part of the community is not the box, the most beautiful part of the community is the creativity that exists within things that are meaningful. Everyone's got their own Shoresh HaNashama. No, pe- no two people's Shemona Esrei are the same. No two people's way of approaching Torah is the same. No two people have the same exact interests in what they learn. Every chesed, every home has its different form of chesed. No two Shabbos tables are identical. When it comes to things that are really meaningful, 
everyone is a yochit. Everyone's an individual. You can say wild chidushim in learning. You're using your creativity. You have a way of thinking that others don't. And you'll be respected. But you show up to shul in a blue shirt, I don't know what they'll say about you. You got to get used to the fact that in our society, the box is limited to the things that really don't make a difference. In, in terms of a real substance, there is so much room to be original. Come on. There are so many original forms of chesed that go on in the community. And some of it, if you come to think of it, you know, the, the, the Yatsara, let's, let's go way back when, the Yatsara, it is serving the Jewish and Arab population of Eretz Yisrael. This is one of the most beautiful Haredi projects that exists. Now, you know, I, I wonder what, what do people think, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're, you're allowed to be out there and deal with the non-from and with the non-Jewish. And What are you talking about? This is chesed that knows no bounds. And, and it took one, one creative, caring Jew to go and establish and there have been so many different, different initiatives within, within the community, dealing with the community, outside the community, and it's all wonderful. These are things that are for real and there's no box there. You can get away with so much. You talk about Kirov, come on, everyone does outrageous stuff in Kirov. Everybody, everybody. You know, this, every, 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 every Kirov organization will say, oh, the other guys, you know what they did? We, we, all, we all do outrageous stuff. Because if you want to get to people today, you got to do outrageous stuff. Of course, it's sensitive. You can't just do anything. But most of what people, if you want to get people's attention, you have to do a lot of things that are outrageous. The community tolerates. The community tolerates. But that same Makara better show up in shul with his black hat. Mm -hmm. And he has the last laugh. When it comes to substance, there are no limitations. When it comes to the superficial stuff, all right, blend in, because it means nothing. It's a sign, yeah, I'm a member of the community. If that's what it takes, if that's what our community wants, fine, who cares? I, I think it's so important because you, you do get Bali Tshuva where their number one goal is to fit into the community. It's an important thing, but that is certainly not the number one goal. The number one goal is to tune into your Shorish HaNashama and be the Jew Hashem wanted you to be. Understand his, understand all, of, all, all, all the different aspects of his Torah, the way your neshama is supposed to. Translate that into action in the way your neshama can. Yeah, your Torah, your avoda, your, your gemilas chasodim is going to be yours and nobody else's. You're not going to be brand X when it comes to that. The superficial stuff, come on, blend in. What do you got to make a scene for? What do you got to be such a dafkanik? You're the guy that won't put on that. Come on, be bigger than that. that that's, that's really it. It's really, really it. There is so much going on that's, that one would say is out of the box if you look at it objectively, that is going on in the community. And it's good, and everyone's happy. But when it comes to the superficial stuff, you got to be careful, and that's really meaningless. So in, in other words, the ichor is the substance, and the tuffel, okay, you can adhere, but remember it's tuffel. Yeah. yeah. And don't make an issue with it. Don't be a dafkinit. Why? It's a matter of principle. I will not wear a white shirt. <laughs> You're not going to change things. You're not going to change things. You're not going to change it. Listen, teenagers are struggling with their independence. It's a normal thing for a teenager to struggle with, with, with what he's wearing. He, he's, he, he has this, you know, every teenager has this anti-authority side. He's just beginning to be independent, and he therefore is struggling with it and is not sure how much he's got to do, how much he's willing to do. I understand when he's got an issue of dress. Yeah, we understand where that's coming from. An adult, come on. I'm sorry for being so, so harsh, but grow up. <laughs> grow up. Who cares? 
<laughs> Most of the restrictions within the community have nothing to do with substance. The ones that do, so long as you're beneath the radar, you can get away with it. Right. Rabbi Berkowitz, wise words again. Thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. You're welcome, Kaltun. Joining us now is Rabbi Yitzhak Breidowitz. Rabbi Breidowitz is a renowned posik in Magid Shir, originally from the United States, where he was a rav for many years, decades, and currently in Yerushalayim. He wears numerous hats and has numerous responsibilities. And accordingly, I am always happy when Rabbi Breidowitz is available to join us. Rabbi Breidowitz, thank you for being on the show with us. Thank you, Ravari. It's always a pleasure and an honor. Thank you. So, Rabbi Brothers, let me frame our conversation, a little bit of a sensitive discussion that we have today. The box or the derech, is the derech too narrow? Is the box too confining? I actually had a conversation with a friend in uh, a large Jewish community in New Jersey, and I wanted to get his input in advance of uh, doing the show. And uh, he did say, when it comes to this topic, that he felt that there are very limited options. Uh, it's yeshiva and kolel. Uh, he said there are limitations on the, the questions you can ask. Then you could be viewed as a kofer if you go out of what would be the norm and acceptable. And uh, in general, he was uh, fairly negative on uh, mandated or expected conformity in yeshiva circles when it comes to dress and opinions and thinking. And, and that's our topic. And I wanted to get your views and maybe we'll talk hashkaf and then we'll get into some halal areas. So, so as as initial uh, discussion, is there, from a hashkafic perspective or a halachic perspective, a definition of the ideal, like a specific path that somebody should take, what you need to do, how you need to look, and what you need to learn, and, and the like? Yeah, so, so first, I, I do want to say, because since I might be saying some critical words about the yeshiva system, I do want to start off uh, with the idea that uh, the revival of, of Torah learning and the yeshiva world, uh, certainly in the aftermath of the Holocaust, is one of the phenomenal achievements of Klal Yisrael, the Chaste Habore, uh, that we have more people uh, learning Torah intensively than perhaps we've had for hundreds and hundreds of years, even in the golden age of Europe, with the famous, famous yeshiva, Slobodka, Mir, Kamenetz, you only had a fraction of uh, Jewish uh, boys uh, learning learning Torah. And the truth is, uh, now a yeshiva like Mir is much, much larger than any yeshiva that existed uh, in Europe, ever, probably since the time of the Amorayim, uh, the Archetalas, and the like. So the fact that after the devastating loss of six million Jews and so many Gedolim, Kedoshim, Rosh Hashivas, Talmidim, that Klal Yisrael was able, again, to be able to create a Torah environment which carries over into marriages and families of a Torah that in turn go to the, even the hinterlands and build up Torah in those communities is something that I have unbridled admiration for. And, and I certainly do not want to be negative about the magnificent accomplishments of the building of Torah, uh, both in the United States, in Eretz Israel, and you know, to a lesser degree in, in Europe as well, uh, Gateshead and, 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 and the like. But we have to be honest that there are going to be problems, and uh, that is uh, the yeshiva world does insist on a certain, and not just the maybe the form world generally insists on a notion of conformity, uh, a notion uh, that you have to dress a certain way, you have to think a certain way, certain questions cannot be discussed, certain talents and abilities cannot be pursued because they're goyish or they're treif. And uh, a single-minded focus only on Torah, which, of course, is the Iker, but to the exclusion of every other 
type of interest. Although, Baruch Hashem, uh, for a number of boys, that works very, very well. But for a number of boys, it does not. Now, uh, I know that the off the derech phenomenon is a very complicated, multifaceted phenomenon, and one cannot give one reason to it. But certainly, I think one of the reasons is that when a person is squelched, when a person is trapped, when a person is told there's only one way you can go, one box you can be in, and the person is unable to live in that box, he is given no options within Yiddishkeit, within the Torah community to flourish, then God forbid he'll seek his nourishment elsewhere. Again, I, I, I'm obviously not saying this is the only reason of off the derech, but I am 100% willing to say that this is part of the reason for off the derech. So the dilemma that one has as a Rebbe, as a Machanech, as a yeshiva, as a parent, is on one hand, I can't have the attitude anything goes, Yiddishkeit, by definition, has standards, it has rules, it has things that you're supposed to do and things you're not allowed to do. On the other hand, how do I give the person the freedom to breathe, the freedom to become who he's able to become, to give him the joy of Torah and Yiddishkeit and Avodah Hashem by giving him a joy and enthusiasm in his life? That's a big, big challenge. And it's also a risky, it's a risky one. Because on one hand, I think, there, I think there's a Maimur Chazal by Yitzhak Mitzrayim. It describes a person holding on to a bird. You caught a bird, a little bird. If, you, if your grip is too loose, the bird is going to fly away. If your grip is too tight, you're going to strangle the bird. So you have to hold it tight enough that it doesn't fly away, but not so tight that you don't kill it. Very relevant. That's very yeah. relevant. And that's a beautiful marshal to the dilemma that we face with our kids and with our students and in our yeshiva system. We got to hold them in. We want to keep them in. We want them to be shomer mitzvahs. We want them to be at least koveya eatim latova. And we want them to understand that taira and mitzvahs are the most important thing in life. But we don't want to strangle them because when you strangle them, you're going to lose them. In rare cases, physically, suicides, but again, those, those are Hashem rare. But uh, more commonly, we can lose a person who goes either off, off the derech or I'll, I'll add something. Even if a kid remains from, you've sapped out the enthusiasm. You've sapped out the cheshit. I call them the living dead, which is another phenomenon. It's not quite off the derech, but it's a certain listlessness, a certain maybe we'll call it subclinical depression in which a person goes through the motions but doesn't have geschmack, doesn't have enthusiasm. And I think part of that is because the talents and abilities and interests that the person has were squelched and ignored. Mitzvah sanachim milumada. That's uh, just yeah, going to yeah, the action. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, so that, that's really the, the challenge that, that we face. And again, I, I go, I mean, the truth of the matter is all of this was said by Shlomo HaMelech, the Chacham Mikal Adam. In Mishle, it's a Pusik, everybody knows this Pusik, and everybody says this Pusik, and, you know, but it's 100% uh, MS. A child must be trained according to his derech, says the Vilna Gaon. Every person has their miyuchadik derech, the approach that works for them, the approach that's right for them. You don't do a one-size-fit-all. I remember hearing from Yaakov that he compared the system of Jewish education to the beds of Saddam, right? Saddam also had hotels. Saddam had beds too. Lahav goes like the Greek myth of Procrustean bed. The Chazal say it by Saddam. Uh, the bed was a one-size-fit-all. If your feet were too long, cut them off. 
If your uh, legs are too short, we stretch it to the breaking point. We have our system. You either are too long or too short. We're going to cut you or stretch you or break you. And Rabbi Yaakov said, you know, uh, look at what happened to Saddam, right? This, the, the beds of Saddam is not the appropriate modality. And he was talking Jewish. about Jewish education at his time. In his time. In, his, in, well, well, in, Amer- in America. He was not talking about in America. Right. So um, let's. Let's take a little bit of a historic approach. I mean, he's talking about the, the bed, and we could say the same phrase that we use nowadays, in the box or out of the box, same similar yeah. concept. How would you say that the, the box or the bed was defined back 30, 40 years ago, longer when you were in yeshiva? And how has that definition changed over time? No, I'm going to tell you the truth. You know, um, I think Things have gotten worse. I think the box, in spite of the decadence of society, I think the box has gotten narrower and uh, more strangulating than it was when I was growing up. Now, to some degree, maybe my experiences are not totally typical. I grew up in an out-of-town community, Hartford, Connecticut. And there, you know, I went to an Orthodox day school, but most of my classmates were not Shomer Shabbos. And I hate to admit, there was even a co-ed through eighth grade uh, and and the like. Uh, don't quote me. Don't know. Whatever. <laughs> and... And of course, we could look at that and be critical. How could you go to school with Bechalalei Shabbos? And how could you go to school with girls? And, you know, of course, halakhically, we could say it was not an optimal environment. But, you know, one thing it did, it, it, it did emphasize was that we are individuals. We're different. We come from different backgrounds. And the main thing is to bring us to a better place in Torah and mitzvahs. And I think anyone that grew up in an out-of-town environment, whether it was co-ed or not co-ed, that's a separate issue, I think did have a sense that you didn't have to be exactly like everybody else. You were able to kind of be an individual and you came to Sholan Shabbos. That was a big deal. You put on tefillin. That was a big deal. You learned some Mishnayas or Chumash uh, extra credit beyond school. That was a big deal. You didn't have to dress a certain way, uh, whatever it was. So I found certainly growing up, and I think it benefited me to this day, a certain openness, a certain respect for different types of people, a certain tolerance of Abbas Yisrael. Now, in the more intensive centers, New York, Lakewood, Perhaps that wasn't the experience. But the truth of the matter is, when I read stories about Rav Shraga, Shraga Feivelman Lovich, I mean, Torah Vedas, and the types of people that, the types of kids that he took in, kids from non-religious families, kids from less religious families. And because, you know, the yeshiva idea was, the day school idea was a relatively new idea in America at the time. I also see that even in New York, there was kind of an openness to different types of people. Rav Moshe's yeshiva, MTJ, you know, was that way too. All sorts of people went to these yeshivas. In fact, it's interesting that I heard a Rosh yeshiva say, who came from a less religious home in his youth, that he could not get into his own yeshiva. He, had he been a student, would not be able to be admitted. He wasn't from enough. The family wasn't conforming enough uh, to the ideology of the yeshiva. This is called being a victim of your success. Because when I was growing up, and certainly earlier than that, the number of from people in America, and again, I mainly speak about America, was very small. So we didn't have the opportunity to be choosing. We had a kind, we wanted to have as broad a tent as we could. But then Baruch Hashem, as the community grows and grows and grows, we can now be selective. We can now be exclusionary. We can now create our separate schools for every little color on the spectrum. And therefore, you know, your hat is only uh, gray and not black. So, you know, you don't belong in, a, in our type of, of yeshiva. So I think things have gotten worse in that way. Now, when I grew a little older, when I, I finished eighth grade in Hartford, then I went to Neri Israel. Now, Neri Israel too. 
it was he, of course it was, and Baruch Hashem it is, uh, a yeshiva of, of intensive learning. But once again, we had kids from all over the United States, kids in day schools, you know, that were not so religious uh, and, 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 and the like. And as I said before, my Rosh Hashiva Rav Ruderman was a real Talmud of the Altro Slobodkin. He was literally almost like his second father. And the altar always emphasized individuality, you know, respecting people where they are, etc. And that was the modality of Neri Israel as well. People, I mean, in terms of dress, although that may be superficial, I looked at pictures of myself in the 1970s. I was wearing a suit. I could not believe it. I, I would not be caught dead uh, in the suits that I wore and other people wore in yeshiva, the you know, stripes and plaid. I, I mean, un unbelievable. But I do remember I was not embarrassed to wear it then. I would be totally embarrassed to wear it today. Blue shirts on Shabbos. So on we Shabbos. did that. On Shabbos. On Shabbos. You know, with a tie, you know, we did that. So I do think that um, for better or for worse, I think the box has gotten narrower, tighter, more exclusionary, more conformist than it was a 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. And I attribute that to some degree for two reasons. Number one, there's a zaliumazai. That is, as society itself gets more immoral, more hedonistic, Pritzus uh, is greater. So there is understandably a circle the wagons mentality, meaning we have to, every action has a reaction. If they're getting worse and worse and worse, we got to be stronger and stronger and stronger. When society was relatively benign, so we could, you know, we could live within that larger society. That's one reason. The other reason, as I alluded before, is we're victims of our own success. We, Baruch Hashem, I mean, we're still we're still only a drop in the bucket compared to all of Israel, and that that's tragedy. But certainly, the growth of orthodoxy uh, was really not expected by anybody, even the front. If you if you go back uh, to the orthodox rabbis in the post World War II period, many of them did not expect that orthodoxy would ever really grow. And and, and in Eretz Israel as well. I mean, the reason why Ben Gurion back in 1948 <laughs> agreed to exempt yeshiva students from the military service back in 1948 was because at that time there were less than 400 yeshiva students in Eretz Israel. Ben Gurion was sure that they would just die out and be extinct, and there would be no problem. He, this was a short-term, minor little problem which he agreed to. But Baruch Hashem, Hashgach of Hakadosh Baruch is that the Torah community grew and expanded. But there's a certain cost at that. You now become choosy. You now become exclusionary. You right. now define yourself in narrow ways, and that can be very destructive. Right. Uh, so, but, yeah. as, long as, we, as long as you mention Neri Yisrael, I'd like to ask a personal question. Yeah. I, I, I've heard various versions of, uh, I, I heard from Rabbi Frand, I mentioned it on, on a show a couple of years ago, that your smicha said, and in that context, you basically gave notice to Neri Yisrael that you're going off to Harvard Law School. Can you give us a little bit of a, a background? That was out of the box, even as the box was defined back then. So give us a little bit of the flavor of what the Rosh Hashiva said and how you got away with doing something like that. Well, I, I'm not sure if I really got away with it. I, I'm still suffering some of the some of the consequences uh, even today. Like but being asked, all, like being asked right now. Yeah, right, 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 right. But here, here's the thing. First of all, as as you know, to this day, Neri Israel is one of the few yeshiva gedolos uh, in America 
that does allow students uh, to go to college with credits, yeshiva credits, and the like. Uh, this was a decision that Rav Ruderman made, Zechonel Racha made, uh, many, many, many years ago, and uh, not because he endorsed secular studies as some ideal, but because he realized that if people were going to pursue secular studies, there needed to be a framework where they could be B'nai Taira and Talmidei Chachamim and the like, and therefore he deliberately permitted these secular studies. Now, you should know that this was a controversial decision. It was a courageous decision. It was a decision that was attacked by many, many people. First of all, people brought up the precedent of the Nitziv closing down Volozhin rather than the secular studies. And I don't want to get into that, but if you study the history, you'll find that the closing of Volozhin is actually a much more complicated question than that. But at least the, 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 the received traditional version is that the Nitziv says better to close down the yeshiva than to integrate it with secular studies. But nevertheless, Revertiman saw this as a Tzorich Hashah. But Revarin, who is Revertiman's cousin, you know, was against it, etc. But the truth is, uh, some say Rav Chaim Eiser actually gave him uh, confidential permission to do such a thing. You know, we don't know exactly all of the stories. But the notion of a secular study having a place in the life of a Ben Taira was already something that Neri Israel had. But nevertheless, uh, to leave yeshiva and to go to law school was a very, very difficult decision. I needed, at that point in my life, to be able to explore different options. And uh, But here's the one thing that's fascinating to me. Rav Rudiman said he didn't want me to make the decision till I spoke to his cousin, Rav Yaakov Kavaninsky, who was Mephorsim, of course, as a Baal Eitza, as such a wise, besides being a Godel, a wise person who understood uh, people and the like. So I remember I took a uh, trip to Muncie. Rav Yaakov was in retirement, not really retirement, but he had no official position, but he was in Muncie and people would come to him. And I remember I was so like scared. I was going to meet Rebjakov Kamineski for the first time in my life. So I prepared all sorts of of Torah to tell him, etc. Um, I come to his house and he's sitting there in shirt sleeves. He was already in his uh, either late 70s or maybe uh, 80s at that point. And he offered, he asked me if I had lunch. His Rebbeson was not there, but he said he'd like to make me lunch if I if I like, which I said you know, I said I wasn't hungry. Uh, he also he, said if he I didn't like trust the kashras, <laughs> right? I didn't want to be much to make me lunch. Certainly, uh, he offered me a bed if I wanted to take a nap. Most amazing thing, and he spoke to me as if he had all the time in the world, and he had nothing else to do but to talk to me. I expected a ten-minute meeting. He gave me three hours of his time to discuss. And in the middle, people would pop in and out, and, you know, tell him a story, tell him a joke. I mean, it was really such a, a wonderful, wonderful thing. He was literally like, you know, a goggle who was also your father or grandfather uh, and, and the like. And the one thing I remember about our conversation, and I discussed the whole thing with him, uh, was he virtually never gave an answer to anything. Uh, you know, as a law student, as a lawyer, you know, you, you remember the Socratic method in law school, where the teacher draws out uh, the truth by asking you a bunch of questions. Well, Rav Yaakov could have been a law professor in that sense. Rav Yaakov used the Socratic method. On like, he would always ask me, what did I think? And I would say something. And then I said, well, did you consider this? Did you consider that? And I hadn't. So I considered that. And I said, well, so maybe we have to adjust it this way. Said, well, but what about this? And he was not there to tell me what to do. He was there so I would realize what was the right approach for me 
in my circumstances. And this is unforgettable to me because I think to myself afterwards, this is what a Rebbe is. This is what a parent is. We're not here to impose decisions on you. We are here to give you the resources so you can come to understand the MS that applies to you. And at the end of our three hours, I wanted a psak, so to speak. He told me that I'm not going to tell you whether you should go to law school or not. He refused. He refused. He refused. I just want to tell you that whatever your decision, you must find a way to use it in Avodah session. And he said, you can use your Avodah session by staying in full-time Kolmel, and you can use you can use something for Avodah session by going to law school and whatever it would be, and using whatever you learn in a way to serve HaKadosh Baruch. He says, that's the only psak I'm going to give you. I'm not going to give you a psak, go or not to go. I'm going to give you a psak that you have to use whatever resources you have to serve HaKadosh Baruch and, and call Yisrael. And now I can't say, I can't say my Rebbe was 100% totally happy with Rav Yaakov's answer. Maybe it wasn't the answer he thought Rav Yaakov would say, but he was Makabal and he understood. And I think I've tried, in a sense, I look back at, at my legal education, my legal career, I was a law professor for many years, side by side with being, being a rabbi. And I think it's helped me in various ways to articulate things, to organize my learning, uh, to approach uh, a sugya in a certain uh, analytical way. Now, does that mean it was worth the cost? Does that mean I would just tell people, oh, boy, you got to go to law school because you'll pick up a good Jewish learning? Class? You know, that's a difficult question. I certainly, I mean, I would really go with Yaakov Yaakov. I would not tell a person to go or not to go necessarily, or we would talk about the individual. So I'm not, I, I am not making a case for going to law school. And I don't want to be understood that way. I am making the case that you have to take whatever it is you've done in life and find a way to draw upon it to make a contribution. And that's our achrayas. And that's what the Rambam says. You must know the Abishter in every single pathway of your life. Whatever and, skills, whatever, whatever talents that you give and use them in the proper way. That's right. That's right. And that goes back to the kids at risk or the kids who are marginalized in the yeshiva system. No, not, I mean, listen, Talmud Torah is a fundamental value of being a Jew. I mean, there's no, no question. Daily Talmud Torah has to be part of every, at least the men, the men are high in Talmud Torah, of every Jewish person's life. But not everybody is going to be cut out for full-time learning. I think we have to be honest. You know, and again, in a way, we're kind of a victim of our success. In Europe, everybody went to Cheder, and then they typically went to work at 14 or 15, and they worked, and then uh, they went to an Enyakov share or a Mishnayah share, or if they were a little more advanced to a Gemara share. But there was no concept of full-time learning in a yeshiva for most people. So who went to Slobodka? Who went to Kamenets? Who went to Mir? Who went to Volozhin earlier? These were the geniuses. These were the exceptional people. These were the people, Bahavdil, who would get into Harvard, Yale, uh, Columbia, the Ivy Stanford, the Ivy League. Now, what's happened is... Maybe, not, good, maybe, maybe not Columbia. Maybe not coming out because of the Palestinian business. Okay. Uh, but the thing is, what has happened, though, is for very good reasons, is the yeshiva world has become open admissions. Now it is expected that every religious kid has to spend time in full-time learning. But the problem is, it's like you're taking uh, advanced, you're taking the MIT advanced curriculum in 
PhD physics, and you're giving it to every kid who graduates high school. Meaning the yeshiva curriculum itself and the derech halimut itself was pitched for exceptional people and not necessarily for people who in the olden days wouldn't have even gone to yeshiva as a life. And that itself is going to create a lot of frustration. And that gets into, can we tweak the curriculum? Should the curriculum be more bikiyas oriented? Should it be more halakha oriented? You know, is Gemara the Ian with the Farshan and Raid, Yeshiva Shireid, is that the Mahalaj that's going to be of benefit, of maximal benefit? Hey, it also gets into funding issues. If the funding should be spread out, for example, a kolel over more people or focused on the people who really have the potential to be the Gdolim of Klal Yisrael. So that's, that's yeah, another. So, so there is a famous, there is a very famous letter that Rav Desler wrote. And some people love this letter and some people hate this letter. But you see that Rav Dester was struggling with this issue. You know, everyone knows the famous Maimar Chazal, Elef Nichnasen Lamikra. A thousand students come and they start learning Chumash. Later, the Echad, but only one out of a thousand, will Yaitzei Lahaira, will become the Poseik, will become the Gadol. Because that's statistically, let's say, the way it works. Rav Dester looked at it like a war. When you have to achieve an important military victory, there may be many, many, many casualties, but the casualties are justified for the victory that has to be achieved. Rev Desler actually says that maybe Chazal are teaching us, again, I'm, I'm not saying this is my view, I'm, I'm just saying what Rev Desler says, that maybe you need 999 casualties to produce your guttle. which means Rev Desler was even Moda that many kids are not going to be well served by the standard yeshiva system, but this is the system that'll produce the gadol. So kind of, you know, so let the other ones be korbanos. Now, I'm not sure how many parents would be happy with that type of paradigm. Your kid is like giving his life for the success of Klau Yisra. So the question becomes, should we create other types of yeshivas, other types of curricula, other types of derech of limas, or are we compromising the gedolim that we're going to create? Now, of course, there's another way of looking at it. You're almost the opposite of Rathus's approach. And that is, who says our yeshivas are even producing gedolim? One might say the other way around. Uh, they say B'Shem B'Chazinish, who of course was a great admirer and a supporter and a miyase of numerous, numerous yeshivas. But he said, learning in the yeshiva is like trying to grow a tree under a table, meaning to say uh, it's only going to be able to go so high and it's not going to be able to go beyond that narrow framework. So even the paradigm that, oh, yeshiva system produces gedolim, well, you know, some say even that's not as true as it would otherwise be. Right. So, so it's, a very complica- it's a very, very complicated uh, issue. And uh, I think that within the yeshiva world, we have to find ways of chanoch l'nar opitartum. Right. Obviously critical. If I can, just a few more minutes to ask a number of halachic issues as it relates to conformity or lack of conformity. Um, n- number one is dress. So so you had mentioned before that uh, wearing a blue shirt, even on Shabbos. So now that it's my, kind of the, the mode of dress, is there a, a minagamakam concept maybe of the white shirt, black pants, or, or is that simply uh, not something that we would be required to wear? So I'll tell you the truth. We do make too big of a deal in this, meaning to say, as long as a person is dressed cleanly, neatly, and with dignity. So I understand tank tops and shorts, one might have a rule, 
But one, I don't see a reason to be overly strict on these dress codes. Uh, certainly in Europe, they were not. If you look at pictures of Rav Steinman, uh, back in Europe, you know, as a younger, as a younger man, as an average or a butler, you know, you'll see different types of styles, different types of colored hats, different types of ties, different colored shirts. So the notion of black and white seems to be a relatively recent phenomenon. As I say, even when I was in Yeshiva, uh, there was less insistence on it. Um, so I, I do think we make too much of it. Yeshivas make too much of it. On the other hand, and there's always another hand, it does serve a certain function, and that is it kind of is like a team uniform. It identifies you. You know, we know that in LA, they have these gangs, the, the Bloods and the Crits, I think, whatever it is, and each of them has their distinctive uniform, and if you're wearing the wrong uniform, you can get killed, and a uniform is a sociological way of identifying yourself. Who are the people that I want to be connected to? So in a sense, I would tell a booker who's uncomfortable with the dress code, that, okay, listen, number one, I would tell him it is not intrinsically important. You are a good Jew, or you can be a good Jew, even if you wear a blue shirt. So you're not a bad person if you're not dressed a certain way, but you might want to think of the idea that I want to identify with this group. I want to be part of this group. So I, I think, you know, there is a, a respect for the group that you're part of not to deliberately stick out. So it's a, it's a hashkafic issue, not a halachic issue. No, I, I don't see it as a halachic issue at all. I mean, at most, well, first of all, this is an interesting side point uh, that, that comes up. You know, we've always been talking about sneas, sneas, sneas in terms of women. But recently there have been proclamations from Gedolim in Eretz Israel about sneas for men. That, for example, wearing tight pants that can accentuate, you know, the genitals and the like. Uh, short shorts, even among from people sometimes. And that's a very, very welcome idea that we have to know that sneas is not only about women, it's about men as well, and it's not just about dress, it's about attitudes. So I welcome the idea that sneas has now become a concept that applies to men as well as women, but sneas does not mandate black and white. Sneas, as long as it's sonua, then, you know, it's a matter of hashkafa, it's a matter of group affiliation. I would not treat it as halakha. Okay, wearing a hat, not in davening. I'm thinking of uh, doing a whole show on wearing hats or not wearing hats, but uh, during walking in the street or driving, is there any halakhic narrative? <laughs> so uh, I'll tell you this. Um, I, I got trapped in this myself. I was a rab in the United States for almost 25 years. And I wore a hat during davening, as I did. I did not wear a hat in the street. In Chutzla Aritz, I would often go around with a yarmulke. That's how I was seen in supermarkets and the like. When I came to Eretz Yisrael uh, in 2010, for so the first few weeks, I would go on a bus in my yarmulke. I guess I didn't know the Minna Kamaka. And I noticed people looking at, they were like staring at me in various ways because I looked I looked Haredi and said, like, why am I not wearing a hat? Ruch Hashem, I didn't have daughters and she took them at the time. Because who knows what the negative consequences were. And I very quickly learned that at least in Eretz Yisrael, you got to wear a hat. At least if you're a, a rabbi, maybe not a bachar, but even you could even bachar. You got to wear a hat all the time on the bus walking. I frankly don't know where that even comes from. Because whatever the notion of a hat, in fact, one might even say a, a svara in halacha that you shouldn't wear it. Because if, if part of wearing a hat is levush miyuchad litfilah for kavod, then fakert, I shouldn't wear the hat all the time. So I'm really not sure where that come, came from, but I, I would say it's kimat in Israel. 
And it could be also that you shouldn't go into the bathroom. If, if it is miyucha then uh, like like right. a, like a kittel or something, if it's miyucha right. that's a good That's a good point. So, um, so once again, I, I, I if I see a buckle without a hat, I, I have no negative thought about that buckle at all. But uh, sometimes in some yeshivas, they expect certain types of behaviors. But I, right. I, I think that's actually a very trivial requirement. I, I see no reason why there should be such a requirement at all. Very good. Next, going into certain occupations and not others. Well, uh, this is a very, very important idea. I mean, Chazal already gives us an Eitzah, uh, the end of Masechus Kedushin, that a father is mechayiv to teach his son, umnas nikia v'kalom. Now, nikia means clean and light. So the question is, what is clean? So some say clean would be honesty, integrity, that doesn't have ethical dilemmas, although maybe there may be no such business. And kala is one that gives you time for learning and family time and the like. So choice of profession is a very, very important issue. And in a sense, once again, the yeshiva world is doing a disservice by basically saying, you know, you're not supposed to have any profession, uh, just learn. Well, that, that, that means when the person chooses a profession, he is not given uh, hadracha from his rabbeim as to what he should choose. And that's kind of a downside of the Torah-only approach. But certainly, certainly, as part of a person's calculus, a person has to understand that some jobs are going to be more challenging to live as a religious Jew, whether it's because of the hours, whether it's because of the nisyonos of honesty, whether it's because of the tzunias and exposure to women, or whether it's because of, if it's a university setting, whether it's because of the courses or the kfira of the courses. So to say that that is a factor that should be ignored. The Gamri, uh, I think, is absolutely incorrect. Uh, nevertheless, if somebody, for example, has a very, very, very strong interest in a certain field that raises certain problems, instead of just saying, oh, sir, we could try to work out ways in which all of the different factors can be accounted. Meaning, uh, saying yes or no are not the only responses to a situation. There may be yes if we can work out the following conditions. So that's more of a subtle thing, but I think that's a very important part of Hatracha and uh, Das Torah, choice right. of profession. Right, right, absolutely. A very important decision. Playing of sports or playing of music. What would you say about Bachrim or maybe when you get older, playing of sports exercise, not watching of sports, we're not going to talk about that, and, and not listening to music, or say playing, using those talents or those interests. Yeah, I think it's very, very, very important that if a person has an interest and a talent in music, uh, they should express it in some way. Otherwise, they're amputating part of their self. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave you a talent and an interest, he wants you to use it. I mean, how do you look at this? I have a talent in music, let's say. Is my avida to conquer it, to squelch it? In other words, why did God give me this talent? So I should conquer myself and not use it? That's a little perverse that a coach who gives you something with the intention of not using it. I think this is the way that you express your Avaita session. Now, things have to be in proportion. If a person wants to play the piano uh, 10 hours a day, you know, we would say, well, listen, your Iker Chiyav is Talmud Torah. But if a person needs the relaxation, if it gives him an outlet, if it feeds his creativity, what's going to happen is that's going to make him a happier person. And if he's a happier person, that'll translate into his davening with enthusiasm and his learning with enthusiasm. 
happiness is contagious. Even in learning, we say, Now, of course, I have to learn even the parts of Torah that I don't find interesting. But if I learn the things that I like, then I will, that will carry over to the things that I initially did not find so interesting. So I think you have to feed talents. Talents are good. They are ways of, and especially music, music as well, we know it's, is unique among the talents in terms of being an ifen of Avaita Hashem. The Shari Nagina is next to the Shari Fila and next to the Shari Shuba. This is the famous Yiddish saying, all Chazanim are fools, that they say, because the Shari Nagina is so next to the Shari Shuba, why don't they jump into the Shari Shuba, uh, etc.? Uh, so they're not running uh, in that way. But I think psychologically, you cannot amputate a person. Now, you cannot take him away from what gives him a cheshek and a gishmak. With sports, I would say the same thing. Uh, sports has an extra mile that taking care of your body. Uh, I am a very, I'm a non-Irish, I'll admit to that, but I am a very big advocate of the importance of physical exercise. I, I think, uh, number one, taking care of your health, as the Rambam says, it is only shayach to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu if you have your health and your body. Aloha Mason, Yahalaluka. And number two, uh, it improves a person's concentration and ability to think. So the truth is there's there's direct correlations between physical activity and mental acuity. So it's a very, very good idea. They say Rabbi Rodolf Schwartzman, uh, great, great Rosh Hashim, that he would learn for 30 hours straight and then he would go for a 50-mile bicycle ride and then he would sleep for 10 hours. Or eleven hours, or something like that. <laughs> so he had like uh, the learning, the exercise, and then the rejuvenation of sleep, and then he would start the cycle over again. This it's amazing, I mean. amazing. It was able to do a physical exercise after being a- awake for that amount of time. Yeah, 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 yeah. And even the Chazanish, the Chazanish was was not physically a very strong person, at least in his later years. Uh, but the Chazanish made a point in Europe when he was still in Vilna of going swimming on a regular basis. Rav Shmuel Arbach used to walk up the street I live on daily, taking his walk. Well, uh, what, one of the milas that some people hate, <laughs> you is that just walking can give you uh, quite a lot of exercise. You're always, going, you're always going uphill. That's, uh, that's a good thing. Uphill both ways. We, we, we may, right, that's right. We hate it, but uh, have to be grateful. It's one of Hashem's gifts in Yerushalayim. Absolutely. Well, Rabbi Breitowitz, I want to thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure to hear your thoughts and insights, and I look forward to next time. Thank you. Much hatzlecha. Good to see you. Culture. Joining us now is Rabbi Avi Wiesenfeld. Rabbi Wiesenfeld is the Rosh Yeshiva of Yeshiva Space David. He is the author of a number of popular halachic works, and he's also the Rav and Posik of the Kav Halacha Beis Hora'a. Rabbi Wiesenfeld, thank you so much for joining us. It's supposed to be a thank you for inviting me. But Rabbi Wiesenthal, why don't we start with the beginning? What does it mean to be in the box? And what does it mean to be out of the box in our contemporary usage of those phrases? Wow, what a question. It's a loaded question. What can I tell you? I definitely, over my years of being in Chinuch and dealing with the youth that I deal with, I definitely feel 100% that the box is much too narrow, much too small, as the famous saying goes, if the path was much wider, less people would fall off it, which basically means that we're dealing with a situation that we're not catering for money of our youth. The 
box that we put so many of our youth in is so restricted to many of them. We are sort of sending them a message like this is the way and every other way doesn't exist. And the moment that they don't feel that they're able to fulfill whatever is expected of them, whatever is told that they're meant to do, then automatically they fall by the wayside or fall through the cracks, whatever you want to call it. And we're seeing the results more and more, unfortunately. Uh, so what, what would you say are those expectations of, of being in the box? The expectations of being in the box, you know, they say that the box nowadays is more like a coffin. A lot of people die inside that box. You know, being in that box generally means that the Haredi world is sort of, again, I'm giving my perspective, but we're sort of telling boys that they have to go to yeshiva and they have to learn a certain way and they have to dress a certain way and they have to learn certain things as well. And I personally see and deal with so many of them. And I have them on the phone, whether in Eretz Yisrael or Chutzlar, it's all over the world. And I see over and over again that it's just not working. And what is expected of them is causing them to feel that I'm a failure if I don't live up to those expectations. And that is what society is generally doing. We're giving you expectations. If you don't dress a certain way, if you don't learn a certain thing, then who are you? What are you? Or you're not really successful. And that's something that we have to really start to change and realize what we're dealing with and what the effects are of, of, of this. Right. So if you would choose one item, it can be an item, an issue, a halacha, that Bahrain view as too challenging or too restrictive. If you would say this is the number one challenge, obviously there's not only one challenge, but if you would focus on one, what would it be? Wow. What would it be? So like you said, there are many challenges. There are many you know issues that we could talk about. But if I would say in my personal experience of dealing with these boys and dealing with youth and I deal with boys and girls around the world and get emails from around the world and taught around the world, Baruch Hashem, I see one thing and I can sum it up, I think, in one word, and that is connection. The connection with the Rabbi Nishalolim and the connection with Yiddishkeit is something that we're absolutely missing on different levels, obviously. Nereb Shimshon Pinkas Zatzal writes, it's Shimshon, he says that the Yemunah Pshuta, the simple emuna of a yid, a normal, regular yid in the shtetl, was so different to the emuna that we have nowadays. That was a yid that lived with the Rabbi Yishalayim. Nowadays, it's so difficult. Roshayim Freifeld, that's how Master Machanach said an amazing thing. I've said it so many times, but I think it really exemplifies what we're talking about. He said, we say in Bircha Satoya, every day, we say two parts. Asher bocha bonu mekolamin. We were, we were chosen from all the nations. We were given his Torah. So Shlomo Feivel said, what was years ago the challenge? What did Klan Yisrael find challenging many years ago, perhaps before the war, or maybe even soon after? It was keeping the Torah. The Nasa was simply to keep the Torah. It was difficult to keep Shabbos. It was difficult to keep kosher. Everything was difficult to live a Torah lifestyle. They did it. They were most nefesh, but it was hard. He says that nowadays in our generation, the challenge has shifted. And it shifted to the first part of Birch HaSatoy, which is how proud we have to be that the Rabbi Nishalolim chose us as his nation. And he loves us. And I tell this to the boys all the time, that the Rabbi Nishalolim loves us more than, than, than a child that was waited for 25 years by his parents. Can you imagine how much a parent loves a child? The Rabbi Nishalolim loves us more. That connection is what we need to do. You know, you mentioned the word restrictive. You know, many boys sometimes come in. I've heard this from girls as well. Yiddishkeit, so many rules, so many re- restrictions. You can't do this on Shabbos. You can't do this during the week. Can't look here. You can't say that. Everything's a restriction. So I always answer to them amongst many things, obviously, and it's a schmooze, you know, on its own. But Yiddishkeit is not really restrictive. 
Yiddishkeit is not challenging. If it was, and if you feel it to be that way, then it probably means you were sold the product in the wrong way. The product is an amazing product, but maybe it was given to you in a problematic way. And that's what I believe. It's such a problem with the system that we have nowadays where it's just given in a way that you need to do this. How many boys come to me? How many girls have I spoken to where I don't know why we do what we do? I wish I knew the reasons and then I would do it. And I sit with guys and I sit with people and I sit with older butter buttons sometimes. And all of a sudden you've opened up their world. When you tell them about Shabbos Kodesh and you tell them about Tzfila, they never heard these things before. I always say over myself, of a commercial, uh, I guess, of grandchildren that were told by their grandfather to uh, that their grandfather's coming to visit them. And they were so excited. This was years back when you had to take the train. And they, were, they waited there at the train station in their Shabbos clothing for their grandfather to arrive. The train pulls up and it was the time when you put the suitcase in the back compartment of the train. They go running over to the compartment to take his suitcase out, not to waste time. They find and they locate what they see as, oh, that's his suitcase. We remember it from last time. He was there two years ago. And then they start walking and they're schlepping the suitcase. It's so heavy. And the grandfather's waving and waving and they're waving and waving as they get closer. And eventually, they get so close the grandfather says no i was telling you ages ago it's the wrong suitcase they said but how did you know how did you see from so far that it was the wrong suitcase we thought it was the right one and he said very simple because he was schlepping it it was heavy i knew my suitcase was very light i think if we find yiddishkeit too challenging too restrictive it means we're carrying the wrong case we're giving it in the wrong way we need to open it up in a, in a different way. I find when I go around the world traveling and speaking, I meet older Balabatim, 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds that have no connection to the Rabbi Nishal Olam. Yes, they're keeping Shabbos, they're davening, they're keeping kosher, but the connection is, being, is, is missed. And that's what I find is the main issue that we're dealing with in our generation, that connection to Yiddishkeit. Now, already in the time of the Nevi'im, we have uh, Yeshiyahu, for example, talking about mitzvahs on Hashim Ulumada and Libam Rachok Mimeni, right? Their hearts are distant from me. They're going through the actions, they're going through the motions, they're doing the mitzvahs, they're bringing karbanas, but there's no connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Would you say that you've seen this as across the spectrum or something more specific to the type of people that are coming to your yeshiva? So I would say very, very simply, it's across the spectrum. It's all over the place. Yes, I deal with a certain type of boy, and generally where I'm asked to speak are a certain crowd. However, I have spoken for all sorts, whether Hasidish, Litvish, Yeshivish, not religious, all sorts. Uh, I, you know, I remember getting uh, asked to speak for a group of very Yeshivish Bachrim, and I uh, asked them, what's the topic? What would you like me to speak about? They said, we wanted to speak about Kirov, meaning how these boys can go out and do Kirov, and they can light up and ignite the flame of other Yidden and show them the Gishmak in Yiddishkeit and show them and give them examples and stories. So I said, okay, this is no problem. And he said to me, by the way, this is actually for them, meaning they need to hear this, but they're not going to hear it from anyone else. So the way we're doing it is we're sort of, quote unquote, tricking them to come in and hear a Kirov seminar, but really it's for them. I travel everywhere. I see it by Balabatim, older people, younger people, Yeshivish people, Hasidish people, Litvish people. I don't think it's limited to anyone. I think it is a very big problem and it's across the spectrum. I think it's something that is very real. And um, recently I did an Arachim seminar, Shabbaton up north, with parents of uh, kids that went off the derech. And I met so many different types of parents and so many struggles are coming out from so many different types of homes. It's impossible to say that it's limited to a certain type. Right. So I, I'd like to talk about solutions, but I'll, I'll frame that discussion as the following. I, In preparation for this conversation, I, I saw your yeshiva's promotional video and you, the Rosh Yeshiva, made a statement as follows that the yeshiva has, quote, 50 boys, 
50 Mahalchim, and also another quote, every boy needs his own personal box. We're getting back to what's in the box and out of the box. So what does that mean? And is that going in the direction of trying to find a solution to, to our discussions today? Absolutely. I really believe that the reason that I open up yeshiva, I always tell everyone, there's no real reason to open up yeshiva. You're going to be a little bit crazy. And obviously, there's no COVID or money involved. It's simply because you want to help people. There is no other reason for opening up yeshiva. And I did see that there was a void in the market. And I felt that I could possibly try to do my little part in filling that void. Somebody once sent a message. He follows the yeshiva, he follows the trips and the learning and the shurim and everything we do. And he said like this, he said, wow. In this yeshiva, you can do whatever you want, have any smartphone you want, have any haircut you want, as, as long as you learn Torah, the Rosh Hashiva doesn't care. So at uh, first when I heard it, I was a bit like, whoa, that's not true. You can't have any smartphone, you can't have any haircut. But then I realized it's the 50 boys, 50 mahalchem I did. And that's very much what we believe in over here. And I, and I challenge anyone to walk into the yeshiva and ask any of my boys if it's true and if they feel it as well. I really believe very much in this generation that if you don't understand a boy or a child, you cannot teach him. You cannot teach him Torah. You cannot teach him Yiddish kid if you're not interested in what he's going through and everything he went through. And it's very, very important. I spend a long time sitting with boys one-on-one -on -one to enable myself to understand these boys. You know, Rebbein sometimes come to me and they're like, hey, this boy hasn't come for three days in a row. What's going on with him? What do we need him for? And I'll say, whoa, 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 one second. Do you know what he's going through? Do you understand what upbringing he has? Do you understand what he went through last night? I've had boys as I did last night sitting in my home, crying their eyes out. And these are boys that on the outside look great and look fine. And they could even be in one of the quote-unquote regular yeshivas, mainstream, wearing a white shirt, learning Gemara all day. But no, they're interested in improving them themselves. And 50 boys, 50 mahalcha means, like the Mishnah Perkyova says, there are so many Talmudim, there are so many types of Talmudim. We have to understand them. And I sit with each boy, understand them. I make personal incentives with each boy differently. And a boy will come to me and say, hey, that's not fair. You took that boy out for a restaurant because he came four days a week to Shachris. I want to go out to a restaurant. I'm like, no, no, you need something else. Every boy needs their own box that we build around them, whether it's their schedule, whether it's their davening, whether it's what they learn. And then when they feel loved, when they feel understood, that can change their lives. Okay, I'm making a list as we go through trying to find solutions. So number one is is 50 boys, 50 ma'alchim, which means get to know your Talmidim and teach them the chinuch that's relevant to them in a way that's relevant to them. So I'll put that as number one. What if there is a boy who is not a good learner? And the purpose of yeshiva typically is to excel or accomplish at least in learning, which does require some intellectual capabilities. Do you take such a boy and how do you work with such a boy? I would love to take such a boy. I love working with such a boy because I don't really believe this idea that this boy can't learn. And I hear this from Rebbeim and I hear this from people when they recommend a boy or they tell me about a boy. Oh, this boy, no, he, he can't do anything. You know, they said that about me when I was in yeshiva also. And here I am today. But the point is, that there is no, I don't believe there's a boy that's not a good learner. You take a boy, you slowly work it through. One of the reasons why often, and obviously I'm not talking about a boy that's got specific, you know, learning disabilities, we'll take him and we'll help him also. But a boy generally is not a good learner because he never enjoyed it. And he never enjoyed it, so he never did it. Give him an enjoyment. Show him it's geschmack. Show him it's interesting. It's relevant. It's enjoyable. This is Yiddishkeit. This is talking to Hashem. This is Hashem's Torah. Beautiful. Then all of a sudden, I've seen it over the years. This boy that everyone said, oh, he's not a good learner. All of a sudden, he's learning all the time. You know, the famous marshal of the teacher, the head teacher that didn't tell the two teachers in their school, one that typically takes the older, more advanced group, and one takes the lower, you know, less advanced group, that she switched the children without telling the teachers. 
And all of a sudden, the teacher who te- taught the higher group was actually having the lower group and did better with them. Why? Because she thought, okay, this is the higher group, so I can do well. I believe that every Rebbe, every Mechanech, every parent knows and understands and believes in every single Talmud. And maybe this will be another one to add to your list. If we believe in them and we show them that belief, and I've seen this over the years with the youth, with our teenagers, we believe it, we believe in them. You could change them completely, both in learning, in Yiddishkeit, in mindset, and in their life. Uh, so I, I added, added two more items to the list. You know, the first one, as we said before, number one, 50 boys, 50 mahalchim. Number two, be more accepting and take on challenges. So don't, don't quote unquote, stay in the box, take on challenges, even if they're out of the box. And number three, believe in your Talmudim. Same we would say if, with your kids. Sure. Believe sure. in your kids, believe in your Talmudim. So that, that leads to my next question. What's the derech of Limud? And we can say in your yeshiva and maybe uh, other yeshivas, maybe they would be more open to it. I actually had a discussion with somebody this morning uh, and the discussion was why don't people learn more halacha in yeshivas. That literally came up to me and, and he said, well, why is there not more halacha in yeshivas? And I said, that's a really important uh, conversation to have. And it's good that I have you to consult with on what I should answer him. So what's the derech halimud? And uh, are, are we doing a good job out there? Maybe uh, you're not going to feel comfortable talking about other yeshivas, but I'll put you on the spot nonetheless. Okay, great. So this is one of my pet topics. I love this topic because I really believe in it and I've seen it. Uh, so many, so many times over the years. Listen, when Rabbi Chaim Belozhin in 1802 set up the Aima Yeshivas, the mother of Yeshivas, it really wasn't for everyone. It wasn't made for everyone. It wasn't like we need to get everyone to Yeshivas. And as I said in the beginning, we're living in a society in the generation where imagine getting a Shidduch resume and, oh, this boy didn't go to Yeshiva. Oh, well, what's wrong with him? Well, what does that mean, what's wrong with him? Maybe he's not made for Yeshiva. Maybe he needs to go to work and have a chavrusa at night or in the morning or something like that. And I've told boys sometimes, this is not for you. I love you dearly. And I'm happy to be a connection to you. And I'll help you in everything you need. But you don't need to be in Yeshiva right now. And I think that's an important idea to remember that Yeshiva not, not necessarily is for everyone. Now, moving on to Yeshivas itself. I've heard this over the years. Why do we learn Gemara? And really, the Talmud, the Ramban already asked this question. Why can't we just learn the Maskonas? Let's just learn the halachas and that's it. What are we learning tomorrow for? And over the years, the boys, you know, always ask this question. It's not relevant. Learning subas and babakama and gittin. And these are beautiful masechtas. But what do we need them for? So without going too much into the answer and explain to them that this is the depth of the Rabbani Yisham, this is Das Hashem, this is how the Rabbani Yisham created the world and it teaches a person how to think and how to get connected to Hashem. But at the end of the day, I do believe very much that a lot of boys are suffering from this. And a lot of boys in the quote-unquote system are simply learning Gemara, but have no shaykhs to anything else. A fellow calls me up from LA one time, and he says to me, you know, I met a guy who was learning 15 hours a day. And he says to me, oh, when was the last time you spoke to Hashem and talked to Hashem? He said, I don't have time for that. I'm learning Gemara all the time. You know, we say in Davening, the same Chalkeinu Basur Secha. We need our Chalik in Torah. Our chelik in Torah does not have to be necessarily what the system set it up to be, which is learning three Sedom of Gemara. I love learning Gemara myself. I enjoy giving over Gemara and I enjoy giving a Gishmat to a boy in Gemara also. But I very much believe that boys need to learn more. By me, Baruch Hashem, I was like four years ago, as I mentioned before, to open up Yeshivas based of it, which was set up specifically for a boy that doesn't want the regular quote-unquote Yeshiva curriculum. We do halacha. We do hashkafa, we do chumish, we do novi, we do. We talk about shidduchim. How many times do I deal with shalom bias and shidduchim problems? And, and, and I see from other yeshivas that they were never taught about these things. They don't know anything about shidduchim. I spoke to a huge a marriage counselor here, uh, a color teacher actually, here in Eretz Yisrael, teaches a lot of colors. And why are the yeshivas not teaching these things? I said, well, you're talking to the wrong person because I actually do by us. You know, Rabbi Sol Salanta 
when he started the Muslim movement. So he, I guess there was no Muslim Seder before, and he intended that everyone should start learning Muslim. There needed to be a change. The goal by me in Yeshiva is Yiddishkeit. It's connection. And I believe that the boys nowadays need, and the girls also, they need connection through other things other than Gemara. They need Ashkafa, they need Musa, they need to talk about, you know, God is not a three-letter word in, in any place of Yeshiva or seminary. They need to talk about Shabbos Kodesh, about Tzvila and everything else. And that's what I believe. And I spoke over to Moshe Hillel Hirsch, the Roshiva Slobodka, who's, who's my uh, personal Das Torah. And I asked him, can I change the Limud in the morning? Instead of learning what most yeshivas do, which is regular Ian, let me learn halacha. Let me learn sugis in halacha. And he said, absolutely, 100% lechatchila. Give these boys a geschmack by seeing the Gemara translate to the Shulchanor, to the Mishnabur, practical examples. It will change everything. And that's what we do over here. I really believe that so many more boys need this. And they're just not giving it. And I'm not here to change the world. I can't change the world. But I can change the people around me. But I believe that so many more yeshivas need to be doing this in a small way, not learning Allah all day, but at least a bit more. Give these boys the broad, you know, knowledge of what Yiddishkeit has to offer, the variety, the color, the vibrancy. It's very, very gishmat. It really, really is. And again, it has to be done in a real way. Baruch Hashem Amzaycha, to have an incredible staff of Rebbeim and an amazing, amazing Rebbetson who's able to open up our home to all these Baruchim. And I have boys that come to me all throughout, regular, they sleep in my house, they come for supper, they Friday night till late in the morning. This is what they need. They need not only just learn, 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 learn. They need that connection and they need all the other subjects also. So I added on to our list just to, to go over it. Number one, 50 boys, 50 mahalchim. Or it could be 100 boys, 100 mahalchim, or 100 girls and 100 mahalchim. So that's number one. Number two, take on the challenges that otherwise maybe you wouldn't have taken on. Number three, believe in them. And number four, broaden what we are speaking and make it more practical. And that's quite an amazing thing to get to Haskama of uh, the Gonra of Moshe Hill of Hirsch on something like that. So Rabbi Wiesenthal, any parting messages, any parting thoughts to our listenership? Okay, I would say possibly two things. Personally, that you have to have a love for this and to love working with boys and girls and love working with them, to be able to give them that. It's what's important, to allow them to open up. You have to show them that you, that they trust you and that you enjoy working them. Baruch Hashem, I love it. I enjoy it. Every single day is a new challenge, but it's a new opportunity. And everyone who's a machanach, whether it's a rebbe, a teacher, a parent, has to have and try to work on that love that we have to have because we impart that with them. And I'll leave you with just the words of the Mashkiach of Matisol, Solomon Shlita, that he asked himself, Rebele Lopian is Mashkiach, what is the role of a Mashkiach today? And I think this is so important to remember. And he answered that the Altus Slobodka asked Rabbi Saul Salanta this question. And he answered, That is to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the hearts of the downtrodden. And Rebele Lopian answered, and he said that we have to give every Bacha a level, a spoon of covet every single day. That is our job. The Noem Elimelech writes that in every generation has its mitzvah. In his generation, it was tzitzis. In our generation, it's an understanding, it's connection, it's love. That's what they need. And if we do that, we will be able to change so many of the future generations. Rabbi Wiesenthal, thank you so much. You should have a bracha to have. Tremendous atzlach in your avodas Kodesh. Really uh, enjoy speaking oh, to you. And uh, looking forward to hear in another few, yeah, hopefully we'll hear from you before that, but uh, getting updates as you go along with this uh, very new and beautiful approach that you're taking with your yeshiva. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.
Joining us now is Rabbi Gedalia Open. Rabbi Open is currently the Rosh Yeshiva of Yeshiva Sateretz Eitz Chaim. And over the past three decades, he has served as a Rebbe, a principal and a Rav. He gives shirim on numerous topics and even give workshops on parenting and education as well. Rabbi Open, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure, Rabbi Open. I want to read a snippet that I found, which is uh, a description of your yeshiva. So it goes as follows. It says that the, the yeshiva was formed and it recognizes and understands that the traditional academic path is not geared for each student and it has an individualized academic schedule and the like. So give a little bit background on what the yeshiva does. Why was it founded? What need did you see out there that brought on the founding of something that sounds uh, a little bit uh, unique? So after many years in education, and Baruch Hashem continuing education, um, we found that there was a void in targeting the Talmud and the students, which are not your academic student, but yet not also someone who has left the folds of yeshiva or uh, what they call today. And I do not like using this. I'm just using it. I'm using this terminology. I do not like labeling uh, at-risk um, uh, students or, 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 or kids or children. Um, th- there, is, uh, there are many yeshivas and high schools, which are great, excellent yeshivas for those who are academically motivated. There are also many, many excellent programs for and yeshivas for the students who are at-risk the middle ground, which we call at risk for being at risk, there was a void, and for that Hebra, they they those they would those those are the ones who fall through the cracks. Those are the ones that want to feel a sense of belonging, to want to feel affection, want to feel part of something of, of a group of somebody. So where who are they going to go to? So to go to those who are focused on their academics, it's very difficult. It's easier to get the negative attention. And to hang out with Hebra, who may not be good for them, and it be, because they need they need a sense of belonging. So what we did was we said, let's focus on that middle group. Let's focus on that that those Hebra who are at risk for being at risk. That Hebra that need affection, need a sense of love, need need to feel a sense of belonging, and let's let's focus on them. So there's there's students who work, they, they will look, come to yeshiva for davening, serious sedarim until twelve o'clock. After that. They actually go out to different, it's not a vocational, they actually go out to different offices in the community and they uh, businesses and, uh, and they, they work there and they intern and then they come back for uh, their, for their general studies where they work on a lot of it is independent study, their GEDs. Uh, so to get the definitions, we are talking about uh, students, Talmudim that are not off the derech, but not on the derech. And and we can put it, we can phrase it another way. They're out of the box, but not in the box. Is would you put it that way? Um, that's that's interesting. Good way to put it. Right. They they. It's interesting you use the 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 concept of the box. You know, there's there's chanoch our pidarko. That's you know that is really the derech of every of every single child is to educate them on what their derech is. Not the derech necessarily of the parents. Not the derech. I'm not talking about Masaira. I'm talking about the derech of their path. Everybody has to get from A to B. How they get to A to B, every every person has a derech that they have to go that way. You can't force somebody and you can't force a, a student, a, a child to follow your derech because that's what you want. Everyone, you have to guide them to go in the derech 
of Darkai, of their derech. And, and so really everyone is in their own box, so to speak, and on their own path, on their own derech. Um, you know, the, the key is to give that everyone was created with Telem Adokim. And they, they all have to feel that there's a, that they have and they, they're part of Klai Israel. They're part of, uh, they have a life of Kedusha. They, they, like it says, that's, our, that's really our focus. Our focus has to be to guide them, to cling to that way, to give them a love for what Yiddishkeit is about. The Yiddishkeit is a bracha, it's not a burden. All the mitzvahs are there, the zakos is Israel. And to give them that feeling of love. So the box that we, that we, so to speak, that we put in the box, out of the box, really everybody has their box and their own derech that they have to follow. But it, the box has to be infused with that, that, that sense of kedusha, that sense of love, that, 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 that focus of the child that he's also, no matter what type of box he's in, he's also the Tzermel Kim. And we have to respect that of the child. Right. Now, typically, we have the concept that comes out a lot in, in Shiduchim, for example, that uh, you say, well, she's out of the box or he's out of the box. And there is a societally ordained box that uh, people either fit in or don't fit in. And, and would you say, if we're using that phrase, out of the box, are those typically people who violate halacha or is it simply people that are not adhering to societal expectations? For example, they're just not fitting in a classic yeshiva, not in a kola, maybe not dressing in yeshivish garb. So those are societal expectations, but these are not people who are violating halacha per se. So, so anyone who is violating halacha is obviously not following any derech of Hashem. That is not the derech of Hashem. And if Gosh Baruch Hu wants us to be on the darkai, darkai doesn't mean the derech that's against halacha. Um, I would say probably, probably it would mean then out of the box is that they are not not in the norm, so to speak, what society or uh, you know put them in. Um, and that could be. And everybody, by the way, it's interesting because I, I get calls all the time. What does you know? What does that mean? By some people, oh, he's out of the box. That means he's, he's going to work or she's going to work. They're, 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 right, and for some people, it's the opposite. Also, oh, you know, it depends really where you are. So, oh, he's out of the box. Oh, he came back from Eretz Israel. He, he, uh, you know, he's learning all the time now. So he's not with your typical, you know, coming from, uh, you know, these uh, yeshivas that that he grew up in. So they look out of the box. Everybody looks at out of the box in a different, depending on their social, you know, uh, uh, you know, group. That's how they look at uh, what box they're in. So, but, but, so, but, you, but to say that someone is who violates halacha. He's he's not he's unfortunately he's uh he's he's not on the derech of Hashem and that's that is not that's that's really not even talking about out of the box he's he's in, in no box unfortunately he is that's what it's a cares you know he has no yeah that's an interesting concept if it, each person subjectively defines their own box and if it's not in my box it's uh it's it's out of the box that's that's it's an interesting concept there so if we talk about the yeshiva shabax and okay. uh, it's uh, expectations. How, how would you say like, the, the boys that are coming to the yeshiva, for example, or, or maybe people coming from uh, in Lakewood that may not fit into the Lakewood box or the, the yeshivish uh, Flatbush box? But what do you think the issues that they have with of being in the box? Is it halachic challenges or is there more societal expectations? They don't have the same academic skills or are there other things that are preventing them from being in the more limited restrictive box? So, so I think it's actually a mix of both. You'll have the challenges with halacha. Many people today, unfortunately, are machmer on chumras and not halacha. Um, you know, we run right to the chumras and the chumras and the chumras and everything becomes asr, 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 asr. It's, uh, you know, I, I've said this many times that in many, in many schools, 
when they teach Hilcha Shabbos in fourth grade, fifth grade, they make a beautiful scrapbook of all the malachos, 39 malachos that are usher to do. So they have a beautiful scrapbook of usher, usher, muksa, muksa, usher, 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 usher. How does that infuse a love for Shabbos? The opposite. How about make a beautiful scrapbook first of what Oynik Shabbos is, of what it means, of the tefillos of Shabbos, of, of the Kedusha of Shabbos. Now we can understand why certain things are, are muksa, why certain things are also, why we have these malachos. But first, focus on the Oynik Shabbos. Because, you know, if, if, if unfortunately, if you don't focus on the Oynik, then it turns the letters, turn to Nebuch, as Chazal tell, to Nega. And that becomes, a, that becomes a burden. And especially in society today, as they get older, and, and, and I say, unfortunately, with the, with the addiction to the cell phones and society and the internet, everything that they have, and everybody's exposed to it. No matter how many people want to say that they're not exposed, they know we're, we're, we're sheltered. Everybody's exposed to it because you can't go outside to see a bus will have signs on it that has posters on it. Everybody, everybody no one's sheltered. So, so, but society today, there's a tremendous draw. So we have to we have to infuse our students with an understanding and a love for what Yiddishkeit is and what halacha is about, and to teach them and to guide them to explain them what what these mitzvahs, the beauty of the mitzvahs, as opposed to aser aser chumra 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 chumra. Not that it's not important; they have siyagim and they have chumras, but also focus on what the halacha really is and what it's about, and then go into the to the go to the next step. But explain explain the whys, explain the explain the reasonings, and if you don't know it. It's okay. You'll, you'll get them an answer. But don't, don't that's what we do. This is, why, this, is, this is the way it goes. You're right. Why, why do you think that, uh, and it's not only Shabbos, I think that you're just leaving that as an, as an example, as yes. a opinion of to other areas as well. Why, why do you think we've come to education teaching it uh, strict, uh, we'd call it black letter law, looking in the Shulchan uh, as opposed to more the safer hachinuch type of view, a more broader view of falacha, but also ashkafa and tamia mitzvahs? It's a good question. I want to be very careful when I answer this one. <laughs> Um, I think there's a lot of pressure in society of the way a person has to be and the way I have to feel. I'll give you an example. There was a boy, a very sweet, nice boy, who was going to come, you know, we're talking to him, going to, him to come to the yeshiva. And this is after the summer, and his mother calls us up the day before yeshiva, the day before, and says, I can't send my son to yeshiva. I'm sending him to one of these like crazy programs out, out in the non-Jewish program, just getting him out. What happened? He got a Goyesha haircut. What does that mean? A haircut that's not a bit tired. And my husband refuses now. To, can I even take him to shul with him? So I said, I don't understand. Your son wants to go to shul with your husband, but because of your haircut, because of his haircut, your husband is embarrassed to take him to shul. So it's not about your son. Your son wants to come to shul. He wants to daven with his father. But because he got a haircut that probably some chevra got during the summer, and he wanted to be part of the chevra, and he got that sort of haircut, therefore, they sent him to a place, no, we're not going to, we're embarrassed to be seen with him. So, so it's much easier to go with everything usher. No, 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 no. Either it's because of Amaratus, also people stop learning, really, or it's because people in the social, the, the, the firmer I am, the more I'm going to be accepted into the, into the yeshivish and into the this and the, the, we lose focus of what is, what, what, the, what is important. We lose focus of the trees in the forest. You know, we lose focus of, of what's really there. And, and, and these are, this is only one story of many, many, many stories like this. How our parents are embarrassed, or teachers or rabbeim, they're embarrassed of the Talmudim. It's not about you. It's about the Talmud. It's about the Talmud. And if he wants to go to shul, take him to shul. Who cares? 
Europe, right, you're, you're, you're focused more, that's more a, a non-halachic issue, that's appearance. Would you say that that's the, the typical case, that it's more uh, not a societal norm that's being violated as opposed to something that is uh, intrinsic to, to halacha, to yahadus? I, well, I, th- I think people, people became more focused on the chumras as opposed to halacha. Yes, people want halacha. Everybody can tell you the minhagim. Everybody can tell you all these different segulas. Everybody can tell you all these different things that they'll do, right? Yeah, ask people tachlis. You know, they can't answer you. You know, there's, there's, there's a segula to buy a knife on Erev Rosh Hashanah for Parnassah. Is it the knife that has the power? And when you don't have the knife, you'll get upset at the table? Or is it just, is it a reminder that when you're saying, everything else that you have there. So what, what, what have we focused on? We became so focused on everything else than on what is real. The halacha, the, you know, we'll get it, we'll get angry, you know, which, which, which is, which, which takes away all the brachas of, of, but I don't have my knife. You know, so 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 these are the things, unfortunately, and unfortunately that we became entrenched with and, we got to get back to basics. Base, back to basics is the focus. Let's let's learn halacha. Focus on halacha. Interesting. How was it thirty years ago when you started in in the uh, in, in the education business? It's a good question. How it was thirty years ago? But it was. I do not recall it as as crazy. I'm using that word as now. I do not recall it as. But again, that was thirty years ago. I maybe did not see as much. Right. It's, it's tough to compare. It's tough to compare, but it could very well be that the box was uh, wider and the derech was not as narrow. Yes. Well, that, that's very possible. We narrowed the box, we narrowed the derech, and, uh, and, and we stopped focusing on, on the darko. We started focusing, we, we, we focused on darki as opposed to darko. Right, right. So, Ravopin, the way you started out, you said that there are people more strictly on the derech, and then there are people that are off the derech, and your yeshiva is focusing on the middle path there. Talk to me about the people that are strictly speaking on the derech, at least externally, they uh, look like they're on the derech, they're in the box. How healthy are they? Can they benefit as well from the derech of Sefer Achinuch, Sefer Achinuch, uh, derech of Limud as well? Or are they doing okay in, in the way that uh, they're, they're studying and learning? So again, the focus is on the Talmud, on the students. So if they're doing okay and they're, they're happy and they're coming and they're, and they're striking away and they're learning and they're happy to go to Yeshiva, they have to come home from Yeshiva, they have to go back to Yeshiva the next morning. So then why not keep it that way? And then, and of course, you know, it's always good to learn more and more and more. And the more they can learn, why not go for it? On the other hand, if you, if someone is coming home miserable and a child is coming home, he's not happy and he doesn't feel successful. He's crying every morning. He can't go back. That yeshiva is not for him. And you could try other places. There are other yeshivas. There are smaller yeshivas, big yeshivas. It, it, it's, it's, it doesn't have to be the, 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 the it's not about the, the label on the yeshiva. It has to be the label on the, on, on, on the Talmud, on the student, on your child that you have to focus on. And it really depends, it really depends on, on, on every, every child is individual, just like, you know, everybody, just like Patsufayim, just like everybody's face is different. And Owen has a two fingerprints. So to the Machshavas, their, their, their das is different also. You know, their, their, their mindset is different. So every, but if they're being Matsliach in, in, in the regular Shiva, why not keep it, you know, let them. And they're learning and they're coming home with the knowledge and they're coming home with Simcha. So, so that's really the goal. So that's his derech. Right, that's yeah. true, that's true. Now, what happens, what do you do, for example, in your yeshiva or when people approach you and a child is struggling and, and they don't fit into the standard standard box, the standard yeshiva system? How, how do you deal 
with that child? How do you deal with the self-esteem of that child knowing that they don't fit into the norm? So that's a very good question. So a lot, again, I go back, a lot of that has to do with the parents and the the chaver, the surrounding, the, the, what, the way the parents also speak to the child, the way the parents speak to their friends about their child, about their struggles. Um, so that that is extremely important. So I work a lot with the parents as well in just accepting and, and working with them that this is, it's okay. And and build up your child. Don't don't feel that you failed or that Hasram, a parent shouldn't feel that they're a failure and that uh, and, and that a child definitely shouldn't feel that he's not matzliach because you can be matzliach and everything, just not this position um, and, or just not in this job, just like you take a job. Some people are good at in this this job and some people are not good in this job. You know, people, some people are mathematicians and some people are scientists. You know, some people could be a professor in English or, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Everybody has their own their own gifts that they were given from Akash Baruch Hu, that Akash Baruch Hu gives them. And that's what you have to that's what you have to build up with. I have a twin brother who's probably one of the top side from and I would say probably worldly top side from you know from open scrolls. So really top twin brother, Bliain Har and I say Bliain Har, he has hands of gold. He could draw, he could write, he could carve, he could build, he could I cannot make a stick man straight. I so what? That doesn't mean that he's better. Not. He's a cipher. He took his talents and he's doing Abu Sakaidesh. Essentially, we're both cipher because they call Balandam cipher also, you know, because you know, that's the bottom line. So he's doing his office in his way. I'm doing my office in my way. You know, so the one thing I told him once, I said, you know, the difference between us is that I have to find the positive in everyone. You have to find the psul. So <laughs> you just, and, and neither you are allowed to make the psulim. Right. <laughs> That's correct. We're both, it's both Malachi Shemaim. It's both Malachi Shemaim. It's both, you have to be very, very careful because every, every, every Torah, it misses one letter, misses a part of a letter. It's possible. Every neshama, you you you, uh, you 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 say the wrong word to them, or or you 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 take you turn them quote unquote, you turn them off. You don't inspire them. So then, what you just did is you just apostled their taira, and they're they're living taira also. Right. And Rav Open, give give me some more examples of eights that you give parents when they have a child who doesn't fit in, uh, strictly speaking, with the typical uh, yeshiva curriculum or the uh, typical yeshiva expectations. So for, first, I would speak to the parents, but I also make a point to always speak to the child and see what's going on with the child. Because sometimes there's a lot, sometimes it's not the same uh, focus, um, but but I always speak to the child, what's really going on, what's bothering you. And sometimes it's not necessarily the school. It could be a chevra in the school. It could be a, it could be a chevra in the school. And it's not about the academics. But for instance, a child who's going to, I, I just had not long ago, a child that was doing terrible in school and in academics. And um, and, I, and I asked him, tell me about your day. And the parents were saying, I don't know what's with him. He used to do well. When he took the bus, he was being bullied on a bus. So the last, so to speak, hour, hour and a half of the day, when everybody's thinking about going home, he's terrified and he's thinking about being bullied on this bus. His parents, as many parents say, man up, don't worry. It's okay. That's where you get tougher. That's where you get strong. We can't pick him up. Blah, 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 blah. But meanwhile, he's coming to school terrified. He's going home terrified. His lunch, he can't go play because he's afraid that he's going to be bullied. So it's not his academic problem. Socially, there's an issue here. There's a bullying issue going on. So it's nothing to do with academics. So he really could fit into a regular yeshiva and a regular program. But in this place, they got to work on the, they got to work on the, the Benedam Chaver over here. So, so when you talk to the child and you talk to the parents, and then you work it out together, and you see what really are the issues it's a whole different issue. It's much a whole different issue. So th- that's where that's where really the focus. That's where the focus, and that's the, that's where I work with the eights is that that I you know try to 
with a lot of siyata deshmai, try to guide the, the parents. There are cases which really it isn't, and he's not able to, and the parents want it before, whether it be because they want to go to college or they want to go to yeshiva, they want it for shidduchim, they want it for this. Okay, then you have to really work with the parents to to give him that love and to say, and, and to explain, it. better off that he's going to a place where he'll be happy. And the shidduchim, Yaakash Baruch will work on that. Don't worry, we have shlesha shutafim ba'adam. We're three, we, we're three. We have the mother, the father, and Yaakash Baruch We don't have to take it all upon ourselves. The shidduchim, we'll leave that Baruch We'll be misfather for that. Everything else, don't worry. But focus, don't don't give up one child for the other. You know, so that takes a lot of a lot of a lot of encouragement, a lot of guidance. I'll tell you a, a great story from Rav Shteyman. I heard firsthand, great story. And uh, someone came to Rav Shteyman to talk to him about a shidduch for their do- for the daughter. So he said, what, "What's the problem?" He said, "They have a son who, quote unquote, is off the derech. He's not religious." So Rav Shteyman said, "He's not religious." Yes. Okay. And where does he live? What do you mean? He lives in the house. That's what we're nervous about. He's in the house there with, 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 the, with the girl. Who knows what? He said he's living in the house. The family and the family is accepted. Yeah, they, they always accept him. And he's there and he's part of the family. So Shem said, that's beautiful. That means this girl learned what means to accept everybody and what shalom bias is. Don't worry. You have nothing to worry about. For sure. If he, I would be more concerned if they threw him out of the house. Because then she would see anger and I don't accept every child. Every child, every love, when it comes to family, when it comes to Yiddish guy, the Mirza Hashem, everybody can go back on the path. When it comes to family, we all know that as soon as that there is Nebuch, a break in the, in, in, in the family structure, even when you put it back together, it's always going to have that scene. There's always that scene. You see, I remember, that's why you looked at me the wrong way. This, But when it comes to showing the love and coming to the home, and you always have a place to come, how many stories and stories and stories do we hear? how children were saved because they always had a place to come back to. And they always saw the love of the parents come, no matter who they were. Parents weren't embarrassed of their kids. They were not embarrassed of their children. The opposite. They embraced the child, no matter what they were, no matter what color hair they had, no matter how many pairs, it didn't make a difference. They embraced those children. They gave a love for those children. And they realized that they're in the Shama, that, that that's our job. You know, that that's the way it is. It's not, it's not, it's not always the fault of the parents. And that also is a lot of guidance, which, which I, 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 I talk to a lot of the parents about. It's not your fault. Don't always blame yourself. Now, sometimes it is your fault. It is, it is your fault. But 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 you know, there's a there's a there's a great taste voice in 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 Baba Basra that says by and it says over there. The taste says why why is a right? What is it about the, the Yerushalayim? He says because when people see all of the avoda and the mitzvos going on in Yerushalayim. So then they, they, they were inf- imbued and they were infused with Kedusha. And when you, when you get influenced with all the Kedusha around you and everything around you, so then Kimitzion Tetzitayra. So I once asked one of my Rosh Hashivas, I said, does that mean that in Yerushalayim, no one ever, quote unquote, went off the derech? And he said, no, of course they did. But they still had that love for the Torah. They still were connected. They never gave it up. Maybe they gave up a lot of things, but you'll always see those people that come from the families and the homes that there was love and there was imbued and there was miros on Shabbos and there was a Shabbos table and it wasn't what we call, I'm coming to you for lunch. I'm coming to you for a Saturday night meal. I'm coming to you for a Friday night. No, I'm coming to you for a Shabbos Suda. It makes such a difference. There's miros. There's a, now I'm going to sleep now. You know, it's a soup and I'm out. No, lehefech. You know, the opposite, when they see that, even those that don't go on your derech, so to speak, and they go on their own derech, they're always connected. They always have that umbilical cord connected to the shoresh. And it's easier for them to come back. They always feel that love. 
Very beautiful, Rabbi, Rabbi uh, Open. That was a beautiful story about Rav Steinman. Really, uh, you got to love Rav Steinman. You know, it's, 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 it's uh, uh, Rav Open, I want to thank you so much for joining us. It's really been a pleasure uh, speaking with you, and we wish you much Hatzlach on your Avodah Sakodesh. Amen. Thank you so much, and you as well. And you have a Hashem. We should be the right Shalichim that Kashbach sends us, give us all the Siyat and Shmaya. And we should all only have Nachas Simcha from all of our children, our children, our grandchildren, great grandchildren. Amir Hashem. We'll all be celebrating with Mashiach Sidkain. Amen. Amen. Amen.